You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. China lied. They had information about the coronavirus. They sat on that information. They took active steps to conceal the information they had. And CNN finally had to acknowledge this fact after using the coronavirus as a source of blame for the Trump administration for the better part of a year. Now, Jake Tapper on the lead covering China's lies. Take a listen. We have some breaking news for you in our world lead. CNN has obtained leaked documents from inside China, documents that reveal the missteps and the chaos of the Chinese government's early response to the coronavirus pandemic. The documents are from Hubei province, home to the city of Wuhan, where the pandemic is thought to have started. They show authorities released misleading public data on the number of deaths and the number of cases. They took on average three weeks to diagnose a new case and much more. CNN's Nick Peyton Walsh is breaking the story for us right now. An unprecedented leak of internal Chinese documents to CNN reveals for the first time what China knew in the opening weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic, but did not tell the world. A whistleblower who said they worked inside the Chinese healthcare system shared the documents with CNN online, which show a chaotic local response from the start. This lack of transparency uh, sort of also contributed to the crisis. Seeing information uh, in black and white uh, was very revealing and instructive. CNN has verified them with half a dozen experts, a European security official, and using complex digital forensic analysis looking at their source code. We only wish that CNN and others in the mainstream media had the courage and the ability to accurately report on China's disinformation campaign around the coronavirus earlier, but it's good to see that they are validating what we were telling people on this podcast, what the president was telling people from the briefing podium, and I'm grateful that now we've got strong vaccine candidates. We've got a tougher posture on China than ever before in our nation's history. And I'm hopeful that no future president would ever roll back the China policy of the Trump administration that is going to bring jobs home to our country, that is going to re-domesticate medical infrastructure, and that is going to stop China from using organizations like the World Health Organization and the World Trade Organization to advance their interests and their lies at the expense of our great people. China has gone next level in their smearing of the great American ally, Australia, and the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is demanding an apology. This comes as China's senior government official, posts an image to the internet of a bloodied knife and an Australian sh soldier holding that knife to the throat of an Afghan child. They're very upset about this in Australia. Take a listen to Prime Minister Morrison. The repugnant post made today of an image, a falsified image, of an Australian soldier threatening a young child with a knife a post made on an official Chinese government Twitter account posted by the Deputy Director General of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs 
Mr. Lijian Zhao is truly repugnant. It is deeply offensive to every Australian, every Australian who has served in that uniform, every Australian who serves in that uniform today, every one who has pulled on a uniform and served with Australians overseas from whatever nation that they have done that. It is utterly outrageous and it cannot be justified on any basis whatsoever. The Chinese government should be totally ashamed of this post. I agree with the Australians. China has gone too far here. They owe the people of Australia an apology. Let's hope we can have more productive reviews of our international engagement without this type of incendiary, improper, untruthful behavior from China. In Pennsylvania, state legislators are starting to flex a little bit of political muscle. Newsmax's Brian Truesdell has the story, Pennsylvania GOP introduces resolution to dispute election. The Republicans in the Pennsylvania General Assembly have introduced a six-page resolution outlining the reasons for contesting results, specifically accusing officials in the executive branch of changing election law by allowing for vote-by-mail ballots that arrived after 8 p.m. on Election Day to be counted, and also the ability for folks in heavily Democrat counties to cure their ballots while folks in Republican counties were not given that same opportunity. The Pennsylvania legislature indicates that they may very well seek to seat their own slate of electors for the Electoral College, and they don't want their state to be known as a place of fraud and diluted legal ballots with a slew of illegal ballots. Bravo to the Pennsylvania legislature for protecting the integrity of the vote. We will follow it very closely leading up to the Electoral College. Prosecuting Donald Trump. The left is already licking their lips to do so. CBS News has the story of the number of investigations that liberals hope to launch to smear and potentially even jail the president of the United States. Uh, the story comes from Graham Cates. The candidates who would end up prosecuting Trump weigh in on New York's criminal investigation. And throughout the story, we learn of this campaign for the district attorney position in Manhattan, where a grand jury is actively engaged in a criminal investigation that involves the president. The New York attorney general has also threatened charges and even the U.S. Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., could get involved if there is not a pardon structure that protects the president and, frankly, the presidency. Here's my hot take. Donald Trump built the strongest economy in the world. He rebuilt our military. He reformed the VA. When scientists and experts said it couldn't be done in the middle of a pandemic, he delivered not one but two vaccines that show incredible promise to be able to save the world, save the economy, save the stock market, save jobs, and create opportunity again for our country. And what do they want to do? They want to give 
the strongest possible rebuke of Donald Trump through the criminal process. And the reason they want to do that is because Donald Trump and his ideas, his ideology, his political realignment pose a tremendous threat to a corrupt political establishment throughout our country. An establishment that thinks that they can enrich themselves, enhance their quarterly earnings at the expense of our people. Donald Trump always put the people of this country first. He put our wages, our careers, our opportunities, our families before any foreign power or any special interest in Washington, D.C., and they hate him for it. Donald Trump should pardon himself, he should pardon his family, he should pardon his administration officials, any targeted supporters, because this was an amazing era for our country over the last four years. And we can continue to show that great American promise and live up to it if we continue to advance the ideas, the policies, the greatness that was so indicative of this last four years of the Trump era. I had an opportunity to go on the Lou Dobbs program last night after an interview that Lou did with Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch regarding the activity and inactivity and misguided activity of the federal government, the FBI, the Department of Justice. First, take a listen to Lou Dobbs and Tom Fitton, and on the heels of that, my conversation with Lou. This is a core civil rights issue, and the state legislatures in these affected states have a uh, moral and constitutional duty to make sure the election was run properly and that counts were not, and that ballots were counted appropriately. That's so when not, is somebody going to get off their duff? When is well, somebody going to actually do something? Well, in, uh, there are a few state legislatures, uh, legislators in Pennsylvania who are moving to do something, but the feckless leadership of the state legislature in Pennsylvania are afraid of their own shadow on this. And it's up to voters to let their state legislators know where they feel, what they feel about this. I do have Republican colleagues who believe that we ought to just ignore the irregularities in voter registration, that we should turn a blind eye to ballot harvesting. And when you can't account the number of ballots cast against the number of people in a precinct, well, we should just accept that that's the new normal. I reject that entirely. President Trump has an obligation to the country, to his supporters, and to the movement that he has built to ensure that we count the legal votes and reject the illegal ones. And you ask the right question. What should Republicans be doing now? First, we should be encouraging state legislators who have the power to launch the investigations, to put a pause on certification, to in fact fulfill their constitutional duty. Second, we have to keep calling out the FBI and the Department of Justice. Lou, I have to correct one element of your last segment with Tom Fitton, a great American. You say, oh, well, these people resigned. They didn't resign. They were just reshuffled to other parts of the Department of Justice. And it seems to be when people don't do their job or when they are misguided at the Department of Justice, they just sort of end up in, a, in an additional role. And maybe Sidney Powell had the right approach with fire hoses and Clorox, but we certainly know that we have not seen an active DOJ interested in protecting the civil rights of Americans who want to have their legal votes not diluted by illegal votes. And you know, we had a red wave in everywhere in this country, Lou, but in three cities, three, you know, in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, you know, uh, and, you know, in Detroit, everywhere else, Donald Trump had an overwhelming victory. Milwaukee, yeah, right. that's correct. Absolutely. Bitcoin is winning the COVID-19 monetary revolution. The virtual currency is scarce, sovereign, 
and a great place for the rich to store their wealth. We get the story from Bloomberg.com's Niall Ferguson, and Bitcoin is right around its high of 20000 per coin, the virtual currency taking off in a system where cash itself is showing less value, and at a time where monetary policy from the major governments in the world shows the impact of manipulation and devaluation, it risks inflation, and Bitcoin looks pretty compelling, pretty attractive as an alternative. I mean, you look at the United States, we just printed like $9 trillion, both in spending policy and in monetary policy, and it has to ultimately have some effect on the dollar. Now, right now, the dollar remains strong because if you look around the world, there's no other real currency you'd bet on. The dollar is the global reserve currency, and that's a good thing for our country. It allows us to be able to use the dollar to try to bring other nations in line with our commerce and our values without having to do so at the tip of a spear, without having to do so while risking the lives of America's service members in uniform. So I'm all about a strong dollar, but the Bitcoin appeal seems to be that there is no centralized entity that can manipulate its value. There is a, a certain universe of coin of value, and that's not really manipulatable. It's in many ways a libertarian utopia currency. And so you see that doing well in a time of pandemic with people less apt to use cash. We'll continue to follow it and we'll see if it gets over 20,000 and beyond. Revolver.news brings us the exclusive piece, Trump's ace. Win or lose, he can still devastate the deep state with these perfectly timed moves. And it calls for a series of pardons, including the pardoning of Edward Snowden, which I fully support, uh, a call to declassify everything. There are still documents associated with the Russia hoax, the involvement of the CIA and foreign governments to try to destabilize our election and the presidency that need to be viewed by the public. And I think the Trump administration, uh, particularly Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe, can take action to get even more truth before the American people. The Revolver News piece also calls for a burning down of the deep state, uh, a real effort to ensure that these folks are not able to continue in their roles and continue harming our nation by weaponizing the FBI, the Department of Justice, the State Department, really anything that they can infiltrate. Also, we should bring our troops home. And the president is, in fact, doing this. You know, the deep state wants to stay in uh, every faraway land for as long as possible because that generates contracting opportunities for the elites, but it really does harm to our nation's reputation in the world, and it, it just does harm to the people of our country to continue to have to endure and fund these forever wars. So check out revolver.news and see what President Trump can do to play his aces whenever he chooses. Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai, one of President Trump's nominees, has announced that he will step down on January 20th. We get the story from CNBC, and the announcement means that the FCC could reach a Democratic majority sooner than it would otherwise potentially be able to. 
Ajit Pai would have an additional six months on his term, but his decision to step down could shift the balance of power on the FCC. And the CNBC article that we're referencing indicates that the policy area that could see the greatest impact is net neutrality. Pai wanted net neutrality and rulemaking around it to be a centerpiece of his time as chairman. It never really came to fruition in a big way. The Congress has thought about addressing net neutrality uh, in a number of different ways, and it's an expansive debate. Look, you got a lot of uh, the newer tech, internet-based providers and startups that uh, really want to see this net neutrality so that they have the opportunity to compete and that they don't see their content throttled by internet service providers. And then you have some of the larger players in the telecommunications industry uh, indicating that some of these rules could limit freedom on the internet, uh, that some of these rules could uh, constrain the opportunities for consumers to have lower cost internet, that this throttling benefits cost. I've been at times critical of the Republican position on this. I believe the Internet needs to be a place where content is shared and accelerated and downloaded and used based on the desires of the consumer, not based on solely the provision by these large companies that engage in the infrastructure investment on the front end. So we'll continue to follow the evolution of net neutrality policy. It was something Ajit Pai wanted to tackle. He never really had the political will or the backing to do it. Now he's gone, and we could see more Democrat thinking, more Democrat policymaking through the FCC. I've called on the FCC to get more involved in the censorship issue, the election interference issue that has occurred through some of the digital social platforms. We'll see if that becomes at all part of the mantra if there is a new chairman, and I guess there will be since Pi's leaving, uh, and a new composition of the FCC. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. This week, the United States House of Representatives will take up the Moore Act. This is a sweeping piece of legislation dealing with marijuana reform and, frankly, unfortunately, some other tangential issues. I covered the Moore Act extensively uh, in episode 80 of the podcast. So if you want to check out the committee debate, the issues, the equities being balanced for the marijuana reform legislation that will likely pass the House of Representatives on Friday of this week, go check out episode 80. This podcast is written, produced, and directed by a team that includes myself and Luke Ball and Joel Valdez from our communications team. Make sure to subscribe, to like, to review on your podcast listening platform of choice, and join us tomorrow for more Hot Takes.